Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. <laughs> Today on the show, we have uh, one of my fellow uh, old uh, journalism buddies uh, over at UWM. Um, she is a she well she she was a photojournalist uh, for Channel 12 for a while, um, but now she's about to um, enter the next chapter of her life <laughs> um, uh, as she uh, leaves to join uh, AmeriCorps uh, in the next month. Um, but I was able to uh, get her in uh, before she leaves to talk a little bit about uh, all things our lives right now. Sabrina Jenkins, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Ben. You're <laughs> it's so a pleasure to be here. Oh my God, you're so welcome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, how are you today? I'm pretty good. Good. I'm good. It's summer, it's beautiful out. Yeah. Summerfest is happening. Calls for the blue moon. Calls right? for the blue moon, my favorite. Yeah, I, set. <laughs> I know. I actually. You caught it just oh, in man. time. Okay, that's better. There you go. Um, yeah, I haven't had Blue Moon in a very long mm. time. I'm very glad that you asked for it. That this was my drink of choice. Yeah, it's yeah. It's my favorite. Because usually I drink like super cheap shit. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I haven't seen Sabrina in a minute. I'm going to fall out. celebrate here. I'm going to spend $9 <laughs> on, on this six pack oh, here. I feel so loved. Good. I'm, I'm really welcome Well, you here. should be. I'm really welcome You here. should be because you are. Mm. Um, yeah, it was the first day of Summerfest today. Um, I don't know even who is performing today. Did I don't know? know who the big act is. No, I'm going later and I'm going to see Jude in the Line with some friends. So. Okay. That'll be fun. Got Bon Iver on Saturday. Oh, really I'll be pumped there. about that. Dude, Hit I'll me up. Yeah. Text me. We'll hang out. Fuck yeah. I actually still have to get my tickets. Yeah. But... So good. I've I, seen him three times. Live. I've, see, I've never phenomenal. I've phenomenal. I know. I've heard. I've never. They're a group I've never seen, but it's, I'm excited to finally see. It's magical. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Good shit. You have a good time. Yeah, I remember seeing you at Summerfest last year when, <laughs> or you, I didn't see you, but I knew you were in the crowd for Grizzly Bear. I was there. Yep, Grizzly yeah. Bear. That was good. I mm. think that was a good show. Yeah. Yeah. Concerts are my thing. I go to way too many of them, but... Oh, yeah. Um, I do, too. I have been kind of making a life out of it. Um, local shows, mostly, but, like, I still enjoy seeing, like, the big-name acts. Um, I just saw Vampire Weekend a couple weeks ago. How was it? It was a great show. Yeah. I've never for, seen Vampire Weekend before. They played for, like, two hours. For real? Yeah, it was it's really, a long set. <laughs> yeah. What have you been seeing lately? Um, the most recent ones, I saw Hosier... May 30th oh, wow. at the rave. The day before that, I was in Madison at Tal Sultano. Do you listen to her, Tosh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Tosh Sultano. So I heard Madison, the Sylvie. Awesome. Incredible. Like, one of the best shows I've ever She's been to. She's so dope. She's, like, the coolest person I've, I like, I want to say I've met. I've never met her. Coolest person I've ever laid eyes on in yeah. my life. Like, she's so talented and just so, I wish I was her. I wish I was her best friend. I don't yeah. know. Do I want to be her? Right. Do I want to be like her? I don't know. But she's really cool. just want to kick it with her. I just want to, I want to talk with her. Like, she <laughs> yeah. seems so cool and down to earth and, like, such a good person. I feel mm -hmm. like we just get along very well. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. I, one day... One day we'll make that happen. Okay. We'll get Tosh in here. Sweet. Um, you get, hit me up the day that that happens. Yeah, you do a little sit-in. <laughs> yes, please. Um, yeah, I... Oh, that's super dope. I, um... Yeah, um... I am seeing... Yeah, Bon Iver, and then... 
I have Deer Hunter coming up in a couple weeks in Chicago. And then the other big show I wanted to see uh, later this summer is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, which they're a psych rock band. See, I've never even heard of them, but they sound so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like music I would enjoy. They kind of blew up in the last couple of years because yeah. they dropped like five albums in one year. And I believe That's that was... so impressive. I think that was that? 2017. Right. Um, but um, I know awesome. everyone's going to Lizzo tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's going to be I have awesome. lots of friends that are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, that would be really cool. Um, I probably won't be there, but have fun at Lisa, everybody. <laughs> um, so what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, uh, we talk about love and fear through the creative and passionate minds. So, um, I mean, I've known you for a decent amount of time because obviously we ate classes together. We, um, you know, we kind of yeah. ascended through our uh, journalism careers. Going on like four or five years now. Yeah, damn yeah. near. Shit. Man. <laughs> Fuck, we got some tenure. <laughs> Um, yeah, we do. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, I, I don't know, I like to talk to fellow journalists because I, I feel like we see the world in a pretty similar place because we've seen how, through our classes, we've seen how the world works, yeah, how absolutely. media works, how, basically just how people consume and respond to media and just how, you know, that shapes a lot of the opinions that are getting thrown around these days. and. I guess um, I'll start uh, with asking you, I guess, sort of what um, what spurred your interest in journalism, like growing up, what you, what made you want to pursue it professionally? To be honest, I, <laughs> who fucking knows? <laughs> um, I was so lost for a really long time. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and it kind of came to the point where it was like, I don't know, right, right before my senior year, maybe the beginning of my senior year, and it's like, all right, I'm going to school. I really need to kind of pick something. Don't go in undeclared. Like, what is something yeah. I can do? So I sat down with my mom, actually, and we just kind of talked about, like, my talents and my skill sets and, like, mm-hmm. all right, well, what are you good at? And what yeah. can, you know, of the things that you're good at, what do you like doing? <laughs> and then yeah. what can you go, you know, do from there? And we kind of thought it through, and my best thing, like, academically was writing. I was a really good writer. I always have been. Um, So then my mom and I were brainstorming, like, you know, what are some majors or careers that you could pursue with writing? And the one, after we went through all the options, the one that appealed to me most was just journalism because I wanted to be able to help people. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to travel. Um, and I wanted to be able to tell and share people's stories and that just seemed like a really good fit. Awesome. And then I didn't even end up writing. So I got it <laughs> as we went on in the program, I kind of fell in love with the, uh, video editing yeah. aspect of it. So I did, you know, videography or photojournalism. And, but I mean, I, I wrote for a little bit and that was fun. So. I sim- had a kind of a similar inception with like in high school, like I never th- Felt like I was good at anything growing up. <laughs> I thought I was just like, for a while, like I was very aimless, didn't really know what my talents were. And I took broadcasting in high school because I thought it would be fun. My mom thought it would be fun for me. <laughs> um, but then I found I actually really like it. And I feel like, um, and I didn't really take applying to colleges or really like thinking about the next step. I didn't take it that seriously. Yeah. And I owe credit to my mom for taking it more seriously than I did back then because it's what eventually did get me to like Moms know best. <laughs> yeah, they do. They seriously do. Shut up moms. Superheroes, I swear. Seriously, they're <laughs> they're queens. Mm-hmm. But um I found 
you know, UWM, thanks to her, and um, and I applied here, and because they had a media program, mm-hmm. and I see, I like was always pretty good at writing. Um, like I enjoyed writing essays that usually came in the format of like um, I like storytelling. You know, yeah. narrative narrative essays were always kind of my like forte, um, like in English and stuff. But um, I also really liked working with cameras, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I liked being in front of camera and shit like that, hence the camera right there. That. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, I came to UWM searching for that. And I, so I feel like I learned to embrace the writing aspect mm-hmm. of it a lot more uh, through UWM and through jams, because, like, I always, like, I swear, like, when I first entered the program, I didn't care about telling stories. I just wanted to be in, I just wanted to anchor and just read off a teleprompter mm-hmm. and fucking look nice on, dress up nice and shit. Like, so you and I are different. I never wanted to be yeah, on camera yeah. ever in a billion years. <laughs> People always say that when I, like, you know, when I was still in school, and they asked me, you know, what, what are you studying? I'm like, oh, journalism. And they're like, oh, I could so see you in front of a camera. Like, well, that's not what I want to do. Right, like, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, I never wanted it. It's just because I can, like, talk, you know, I'm pretty well-spoken for the most part. I can talk to people really easily. Yeah. So they automatically see me as, like, an on-camera reporter or anchor of some sort. That's not me whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and you learn that. Like, you learn how multifaceted journalism is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's people that want to only do print. There's people that want to do radio. There's people that want to do sound slides. Yeah. <laughs> sound slides. Fucking sound slides. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, people that want to do more of the technical stuff. And, yeah. um, and we learned how to do all of that. And I found to, like, actually really enjoy telling stories, like, through, you know, a print medium. And um, I feel like now I get... Like, I've gotten the best of both worlds because, like, I still get to do, like, the print and stuff, like, mm-hmm. with the music journalism that I've been doing with Breaking and Entering. But, um, but the more, like, being in front of the camera and, like, having fun with that, doing the editing and, like, making a story constructed in the way you want it to look, mm-hmm. you know, the way your vision aligns. It's very satisfying. That's, yeah, and that's what yeah. I get with doing this show. Absolutely. So, um... Yeah, like, is that, like, I guess what makes you enjoy, what made you enjoy, like, the editing and the video part of it so much? I don't know. I mean, yeah, like I said, I definitely got into it originally for the writing, and then we took 342, which is our first TV broadcast. Shout out Jesse Marble. Yeah, shout out Jesse. Yeah, she was great. (laughs) She was phenomenal. Um, But yeah, that was my first time ever even attempting to touch, like, a video camera to make something like that. Yeah. And it's very different <laughs> than what I did at Channel 12. Um, but I just loved the creative process. Um, I liked being able to put myself into my work in that way, in that medium, I guess. Because you get to put yourself into your writing as well. Um, but I just liked that, especially at the, our program at school, is we, were, we got to pick our stories. We got to pick how we wanted to tell it, what shots yeah. and what angles and who you want to interview. Right. And you know exactly what perspective you want to be able to share for your story. And I just thought that that was so much fun. 
and I liked going from you know different locations to yeah. do it and that was you know instead of just sitting in like a meeting or somewhere just like writing down things I liked actually moving around and, and shooting that on a camera yeah and I just fell in love with it the second I did it right yeah. and you and it's fun because you can also make otherwise uninteresting stories seem appealing yeah like for I remember in that class 342 I I literally like I remember we had an assignment that was like I, I, on a chronological story. On a chronological package. Yeah, yes. that was it. That was it. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I did mine on um, Brock Dahl getting his day started. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that that was fantastic. Oh my god, I actually got like an A minus mm -hmm. on it, but um, I did one of my stories on you, and I actually got like a really cool award for oh yeah. it. From, oh yeah, the, yeah. The Rockathon eighty-five. The, the Rockathon. Yeah, I did my story on you, and it won. Um, it was for like new TV news writing. It won a Wisconsin Broadcast Association. Oh my award. god, that's awesome! I don't know if you knew that, but congratulations, dude. Fuck yeah! Well, you congrats are, to you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, Could have done it without you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, it was like sec I think it was like second place TV news writing or something. So. Oh wow, that's awesome. and that's something cool. Like it wasn't even for like the shots I did, but the script I wrote right, for it. Right. So it shows like not just editing, but writing as well. So yeah, exactly. It's multifaceted. Right, because like. I mean, it was, I mean, partially, like, I remember that assignment, like, I just had fun with it because Brock is my friend and, like, I just think he's really funny, so, like, mm -hmm. we were, and I was, like, laughing my ass off the entire time I was filming it, but the the story was about, uh, was about getting ready for your day and going to class and, like, and making time for you to be able to, like, get to class on time, but also get your day started mm -hmm. and stuff, because that is actually something that a lot of people struggle with, is, like, making time to, like, actually get your day going. Get everything done, yeah. And, but I figured, you know, fuck it, I'll have fun with it at the same time. So, I, so we had a really, it was, it was a really fun thing to do, and even though, like, like, I mean, it seemed kind of silly and, and stupid, like, retrospectively like it still was it i mean it served its purpose yeah. for that story and it's like i think that that's kind of fun is that doing broadcasting allows you to tell a story in a way that you know can be very colorful mm -hmm. it can be very like you know it can bring elements into the package that makes it that you know would be really boring otherwise but it can also but like you can put a twist on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Like visual elements or mm -hmm. certain, like, um, you know, uh, camera angles or just if, if you want to be, like, edgy or artsy with it. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that it's just fun because it allows you to, it really helps you, like, explore, like, just what, how you can make a story just, like, really come alive. Uh, yeah. They call that, uh, the smoking gun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. the smoking the gun. The smoking gun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so, um, yeah, tell me about your gig at Channel 12, because I actually interned there, too. Yeah. Love the station, the great people. Yeah, um, well, I was a photojournalist for two years at Channel 12. I just had my last day, like, a week ago, before I start this next chapter. Um, but for two years, I was a, like, they call them photogs, but photojournalist. And a lot of people always think that that's, uh, like, just photography, and it's not. I, like, didn't take any photos. It was strictly video. So I would go out into the community, um, whether it's scheduled events or breaking news situations. Um, basically, anything you see on TV, my job was to shoot it, yeah. bring it back to the station, and edit it. And whatever I edit, 
uh, would be what airs on the news. Did you use Premiere? We did use Premiere. Oh yeah, I yeah. used Premiere. Premiere is dope, yeah. <laughs> Premiere is great. So I'm, I'm well equipped in using Premiere. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I ranged from a lot of things. Um, just with my shift personally, uh, and what I worked on weekends, because like, you know, the newsroom is a lot smaller on weekends and there's so much going on. Yeah. Um, but usually I did a lot of breaking news stuff. So I covered a lot of shootings, a lot of car accidents, a lot of fires. Um, stabbings, you know, just so many robberies, so many things like that. Uh, but then there are a couple like scheduled events that you do, like um, if the mayor or the police chief is having a press conference, you know, you go to that. Um, and then we go to events like fundraisers and certain, you know, bake sales or certain things that com like community members are doing uh, that kind of stand out. I would go and cover cover those as well. Wow. Did so a lot. yeah, that I mean. <laughs> Did a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, that's that's a lot of heavy stuff it's a, too. It's depressing as um, hell. So like, yeah, I guess. Um, how did you? How how do you feel like? Um, you know, it was an emotionally challenging job doing yeah. that kind of stuff. Honestly, it's hard as hell. Um, you know, a lot. You tell people what you do, or I tell people what I do. They're like, oh, that's so cool. That seems like so fun. Um, and I mean, it definitely has its up and ups and downs, but most of the time, you, you're basically on two ends of the spectrum. You're either with people on their best day, or you're with them on their worst day. They're, we're not there for the middle, we're not there yeah. for the, someone's having an okay day, like that's not why we're there. We're there because they're celebrating something amazing, or we're there because they are suffering a tragedy and it's our job to report on it. And when it's a high, when it's something good, that's awesome and it's cool to be able to share that. Yeah. But unfortunately, nine times out of 10, that's not what it is. Um, so, and it's hard and you have to be able, like not, not a lot of people can do it. And I wanna say like, oh, I'm so special. Like that's not what I'm saying at all, but you have to handle it with care for sure. It's not just a matter of the technical side. You have to be really personable with people. Yeah. And you have to be able to talk to them because like whether you're at their, son's vigil because they died in a in a police chase or because they died in a shooting or whatever it was you have to be able to talk to them in a way that makes them feel heard and understood but at yeah. the same time is so beyond respectful because they're going through one of the hardest times yeah. that they've ever had to face yeah. and so and I, you know you're super super busy so you have to find the balance of like getting in and out because you have so many things to do but to make their worst day not seem like it's only worth 10 minutes of your time. And then, you know, that's really like a really hard balance to do. You know, I've seen a lot more dead bodies than I would like to of, and I've seen a lot of grieving families, you know, and some of those things are hard to, to get out of your head. And um, I mean, it, it just takes a special person to be able, you have to kind of, you know, split your life. You gotta, a lot of times and it seems, seems kind of bad but when you're there I try to focus on the technical side because sometimes what's beyond the lens is just too hard to look at yeah so when I'm looking in my camera or when I was it was like framing the shot and you know getting I, I want to shoot this or this would be a great angle and sometimes you forget because you get so wrapped up in it but sometimes you forget that the angle you're getting is a dead body in the middle of the road so it's like it definitely takes a toll for sure but you just gotta be able to keep going on and not get caught up in it because you're about to do five more of those. Within yeah. you know, within the week you're gonna do that same thing five more times. 
Yeah. So it's hard for sure, but yeah, yeah. No, seriously, right. like I, I've like, I've been to a, a couple weeks before, but dead bodies mm -hmm. terrify me, and they also, I mean, they make you really sad. They make you feel, it's it's an uncomfortable. You know, it, it's it's an uncomfortable presence to be in, especially mm -hmm. when it's someone you don't know, someone that, you know, was minding their business and they became a victim of violence and wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, yeah, and that like that's horrible and it's super scary for sure because like we'll get there and you know sometimes the police will talk to us, sometimes it's still an ongoing investigation, but a lot of times there are people that are our age, you yeah, know. A, right. a 22 year old man, a 20 year old girl who was killed in the back of an Uber because someone stole a car and decided to run a stop sign and crash into it. And it's something like that could have so easily been me. That could have been like so easily been somebody I care about. Yeah, right. And it's definitely like eye-opening. It kind of forces you to wake up a bit and like just realize how short yeah. life is. Like, Seriously. It's so scary. Yeah. So given all of that, like with you know how with what you've seen in in your job and your in your endeavors like in Milwaukee mm -hmm. and like what it's exposed you to, like a lot of people. You know, a lot of people talk about Milwaukee very positively when we talk about the culture, when we talk about, you know, the influx of uh, creatives that we've been seeing, like, and there is that, but, mm -hmm. but there's also a lot that Milwaukee, you know, needs to work on or a lot that is wrong with Milwaukee as well, um, especially when it comes to racial segregation, mm -hmm. when it comes to gentrification when it comes to you know uh just um very like just various other crime issues that that are impacting our city yeah what has your job taught you about the city of milwaukee my job i think the number one and i mean it's it is one of the first things that people you know one of the stigmas about milwaukee but this job taught me just how segregated it is um, because I'm going to every corner of this city and you can see it's like oh there's a shooting on the north side or there's a stabbing on the south side very you know very rarely is there something going on on the east side you know and if it is it's a celebratory thing it's mm -hmm. a a grand opening of a some street so, festival. a street festival yeah. and um, you are you can just see different populations in different areas and how how segregated it really is um, so that was, I think, one of the first things I noticed, right? And especially in, in one day, you go to so many different places and you can physically see the differences within each community and just mm -hmm. see what parts of the city get love and care and are taken care of and what parts of the city are just kind of tossed aside. And you can see it in the roads, in the buildings, in the neighborhoods, like, that look so broken down and so run down that just don't seem to be getting, like you know, government funding or anything like that. Yeah. Like people just don't care about that area. Mm -hmm. And I think that all that love is going into the east side, is going into oh, yeah. downtown. And so many people have, you know, have comments about that. So many people say that. And a lot of people, when I go out in the community, they go, why are you here? Why do you care about us up here? And like the news is everywhere, but there are people in certain parts that just don't feel like their story is important because so much has been happening, especially with like the Bucks and the Brewers and Pfizer Forum and every, you know, the Deer District, everything that's been happening downtown. Yeah. You know, a lot of people on the outskirts just don't feel like they matter yeah. at all. And that's, that's super shitty. And I, mm -hmm. it really kind of breaks the my hop. heart. The hop. Yeah. Like, I mean, I like the hop 
seems cool in concept, but mm -hmm. it's really, it's merely a tourism thing. Like it's- I've had to cover the hop three times, yeah. at least three or four <laughs> yeah, times. Yeah. Go get video of people getting on it. Like, what's the news? Right, well, like, what's the story? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that people go to, like, it's, it's just like, I feel like it's just merely a tourism thing or it's just mm -hmm. something that people do for fun. It, it doesn't, I remember like hearing that, like it was supposed to like unify our city more, but I don't see that purpose. In It'll it. unify if it actually goes out to the north That's side. There's like saying. five stops. Yeah. You know, it's like you're unifying the top of the east, the upper east side to the lower, not even the upper east side. It goes lower east to downtown. Yeah. You know, third ward and that's it. Right. And if you want to unify the city, make it go to other districts that right. can, you know, you want people coming in, have it go to the north side. So people, because it's free right now. I mean, it's supposed to... I think it's supposed to like you're just, they're gonna start charging for it. I don't know, but the whole thing was like Potawatomi Casinos was gonna like sponsor it for a year, and all, all Milwaukee you know citizens get a, a free year of the hop. But you know, let it go to the north side so people on the north side can hop in, take it down, and go experience the rest of the city. Right. Let it go all the way to the south side so people can get on there and do the same thing. Right. But it's not bringing people together when there's only there's like eight stops on it, yeah. and it's going from lower east to the third ward. Like, and it caused some fucking brutal ass <laughs> fucking traffic oh, last so summer. <laughs> um, I remember this shit sucked. Um, but that's yeah. But exactly, like it's like it's. It, I feel like it serves the 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 pull factors of Milwaukee mm -hmm. and the pull factors only. And by pull factors, I mean people that come that are coming through Milwaukee that want to explore like the cultural and touristy uh -huh. things in Milwaukee. The hop is there to like bring them around and stuff. Or for the people that actually live here, it's. Maybe you know, get them to work. Right, that. right, yeah. yeah like, but From that, their apartment to their place of Right, apartment. but that's only if you live in, like, you know, a glamorous area. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But we're not seeing that, mm -hmm. you know, in different parts of Milwaukee that is are heavily, like, the inner city, the north side, the south side, like, parts of Milwaukee that are often neglected by, you know, what are, like you said, like, the, the, the funding is, should be helping to, you know, alleviate some of the issues that are plaguing that and contributing mm -hmm. to that segre segregation. Absolutely. But then, you know, even that, it's like a double-edged sword. So, like, say you want funding to go into the north side, then it ends up biting them in the ass because that's where it's like, oh, we're making it all nice and pretty. Gentrification. New yeah, people are in right. here pushing them out. Because it's so nice and pretty, they can, you know, upsell certain things where the people that are living there can't afford it yeah. anymore. So it's like, I don't have the answers, but what the fuck do you do? That is, you know, it's yeah. so hard. And You don't get to win. A good example of that, and I mean, granted, like, the east side, like, you know, is primarily college students, but, um, like, with that new, like, um, the apartments that are being built where Cousins used to be on Oakland and Locust. Mm -hmm. um, there's like that, it's like a nice and upscale, upscale yeah. apartments that are being constructed currently in, on that corner. Why are they building those on the east side? I mean, most of us are low-income college students yeah. or people that are freshly out of college. And so you're right there by campus. Right. Yeah. And, like, and they can't like most people on the east side can't afford that like it's just I don't I don't really see it as ethical to place like you know upscale apartments in a low income area mm -hmm. because it's like well 
you know, like a lot of us, like, I mean, both of us are graduated, but like when we were in school, it's like, it's, it can be hard to keep up with things like rent. It can be hard yeah. to find like, you know, affordable places to stay. And, um, and when wealthy people are entering the area, that makes it difficult. Cause like, you know, it's almost like competition mm -hmm. if you would like, I mean, that, um, I mean, it, I mean, it, I imagine it makes a ripple effect in the community. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And that, you know, that's just what I was saying is like, you're right. What poor college kid can afford it? None. So who's, you know, who is going to move in there? People with money. Once that starts to happen, it's just going to spread. They're going to want nicer things. So they, you know, they tear down certain businesses or other homes and build up, you know, more um, upscale or high scale housing. And again, it's just people aren't going to be able to afford it and they get pushed out further and further and further. And the further they get them, like the further away they get, the city just stops caring. Okay. And that's why those areas aren't getting the attention that they deserve. It's classism. Classism fuck, at its finest. Fuck classism. Mm. So. Yes. Um, yeah. So. Um, so with, with all that, like with what you've seen, um, what are some things that you feel like, you know, the city of Milwaukee can, uh, you know, what, what do you think are some urgent things Milwaukee should start pushing, you know, their funding towards, or I guess it's like things that will make a lot of those stories that you reported on, like, you know, less, uh, you know, dreadful to, mm -hmm. to cover, like, you know, some of those tragedies to make less, um, to make less common, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think there just needs to be a lot more community involvement, I guess. Um, I mean, there, I cover so many different things and they all have different solutions. But I mean, one of the biggest ones is shootings. There are so many shootings, so many people, and it gets worse in the summer. It gets so much worse in the summer. Pe like kids aren't in school anymore. It's super nice out. People are out drinking. Right. Feel like tensions get high and someone gets hurt. And that happens time and time again. So, I mean, as far as that aspect goes, there needs to be some sort of community or some sort of space that people can come to to avoid those drugs and to avoid um you know that crime and i mean just recently or i mean a few months ago um i went to this thing called dantre day and dantre hamilton the man yeah. who was shot by police I believe 2014 was, right i would say five years ago i believe yeah. yeah um i his family hosts this thing every year called dantre day and they sponsor it themselves but they um, have like a DJ, they have a raffle, they have dancing, they have music, they have free food. And the whole point is just to get people from outside, get them inside and get them talking and get them to know one another um, and to avoid stuff like that happening again, you know? And that's just one small thing that that individual family took upon themselves to do, which I think is really awesome. That's yeah. so cool of them. But I, you know, I interviewed his brother and you know, he was doing it um, they were all doing it to honor, to honor Dontre Hamilton, but they wanted those effects to go be spread throughout the community. Mm -hmm. And he's like, honestly, nothing is going to change if we don't talk to one another yeah. because we are so segregated. Nothing is going to change if we stay this way. Mm -hmm. So we need to create spaces where we can feel safe to come with to one another and talk and discuss and kind of open our minds up a little bit. Yeah. And that's, I think that needs to happen so much. And I've been to so many, um, 
so many shootings and so many vigils and I, the vigils are by far the worst because the vigils are where everyone who ever cared about that person are yeah. there you know they're all there they're all crying they're mourning and like they just talk about how senseless you know the violence is and how like their son their brother their cousin um should still be there and he's yeah, not seriously. and it's for some dumbass fucking reason and like literally as simple as owing someone 20 bucks mm -hmm. or something like that exactly so we need to i'm like how do you fix that i don't know you know it's such a hard a hard question to to solve but yeah and that affects i mean it's even affected like um uh, the music community in some ways too. Like there was a shooting at the Miramar a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago. I remember that. Yeah, yes, I remember that. And it was during a, a hip hop showcase, mm -hmm. um, and three people were injured. And I mean, I wasn't there. I don't understand the rationale completely, but um, but venues are afraid of. There, there is a select number of venues in Milwaukee that are afraid of hosting hip hop shows because they're afraid of like the. The, the violence that gets associated, that gets associated with, with, with that community. Mm -hmm. And um, and obviously this instance does not help. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot. I feel like a lot of it has to do with, you know, a lot of people in not only our city, like, you know, it, it, you could see it in, in many forms across the world, across our country, across human nature is... When you feel neglected, mm -hmm. when you feel like your community, or when you feel like your, um, you know, your government, what have you, like, does not care about you, or just is not providing resources for you to sustain yourself, you often resort to extreme measures. You you resort to that um, reactiveness, Absolutely. and that and there's communities in Milwaukee that experience that and that's why I feel like a lot of areas not only in Milwaukee like I'm from Chicago a lot of areas in Chicago experience high crime rate because they're so severely underfunded or you know poorly poorly educated they think that that's their only option once. yeah it's the, yeah. When, like and especially like when they see something like you know you know when they see something like uh you know, where violence or materialism is being used to uh, exhibit wealth or power, then they see that as the only inspiration they have because, Absolutely. you know, they're not, they don't have inspiration anywhere else because it's just because they're not cared about. And it's, it's, it's so fucked, it's really fucked up. It's, it's so very, fucked. it's systemic. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I. I, I agree with you on the community involvement part because we do have a lot of really powerful voices in Milwaukee. Um, we do have a lot of really, you know, you know, it's like as segregated as it is, it is still diverse in terms of like where there are still like a lot of people that care mm -hmm. that are voicing their opinions on this, that are voicing on how much of a, of a drag it is that, you know, a lot of communities have been turned their back on for the interests of privileged people. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, and like, like we said, like it's, we're, we're only in Milwaukee. Like this is a societal issue that this occurs is everywhere. 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 But we can only do so much for our city. So, um, I think that, you know, if, if you, if anyone has a cause that they're passionate <laughs> about, stand up for it you know like rally people 100%. like like 
explain to people why they should care and that causes people to rally around it because if empathy is a very powerful tool something i've learned a lot and you can relate mm -hmm. as a journalist because empathy is a very important part of our jobs Empathy allows you to see why somebody acts the way they do, why someone cares about the things that they do, why, basically, like, why a story is noteworthy, because our entire human existence is all dependent on us feeling things. And when we feel things, it causes a ripple effect. It causes, it causes other people to feel things. And, I mean, I care a lot about a lot of people, like you know, that are very disenfranchised, that are constantly, like, excluded from societally acceptable spaces or people that are just not seen, not heard. And it's it's gross, man. It is. Like, it's really gross. And I think that we, it, like, more than ever, it's important for our community to start rallying around the disenfranchised, rallying around those that have been victims of senseless violence, rallying around those that are just, you know, like, just want to be cared about. Yeah, like, at the end of the day, absolutely. it's about being cared about. I think that what's important with that, though, is like, yeah, absolutely, like, stand up and speak your truth, but keep speaking it. It's yes. so important right. because you think you, you have one, like, if you physically, and you're talking about a literal rally, Doing it once isn't enough. You got to keep no, going right. and keep going. And that's the number one thing that I think, or, or maybe, you know, in the top things I learned about TV news is that news in general is like we care about it for a day and then we're on to the next yeah. thing, you know? And in order to keep to keep the conversation going, you need to keep fighting. You need to keep vocalizing your problems. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's going to feel like no one's listening to you, but eventually someone will. And eventually the right person will hear you yeah. and something will change. Yes. And yes. until that happens, you just got to keep pushing mm -hmm. because you can do it. You can fight and you can, you can stand up and, you know, scream and shout all you want. But the second you give up, then there's, you know, a bigger story to be heard and to be told. And they're gonna and they're gonna move on to that. The news will move on. And and I hate you know, that was one of the things I hated the most about about my job was that I'm, you know, with these people or I'm with someone on a horrible day and then I can only be there for twenty minutes, thirty minutes, and then I'm off to the next horrible thing. And you're there for a oh, oh. Jesus. You're good. Sorry about that. No, you're fine. Um and you're there for a functional reason. A functional You're there to tell a story. Yeah. You're not there to like be like a, a grieving um, a grieving aid to yeah. somebody, you know? No, absolutely. Like I'm there to, to help and to make a difference. But there's just like your story isn't just your story, it's so many other people's story too. Like that what just happened to you and your family is happening to ten other families within the same week. You know, and it's it's so hard. And that's what I hated about my job is that not following up, not knowing the follow up just yeah. because there is so much trauma and so many things happening that we don't get to follow up we you know if it's like a really slow you know you're in a really small town that one car accident that killed that one boy is going to be the talk of the town for years they're all going to be like remember you know little tommy or yeah. something you know that died but like this happens so often and so frequently that it just gets left behind and 
I mean, especially like I'm physically driving in so many different communities and another really hard part is seeing the flowers and the balloons and the photos wrapped around a tree here and there. And you just drive down, you drive 20 minutes and you see five trees like that. And I pass and I couldn't tell you who it was because like you don't know it doesn't stick with us it doesn't resonate with us i don't know if that was a car accident i don't know if someone got shot there i don't know if someone got stabbed there like we don't know the story because there's so much violence and that's just so hard to deal with sometimes but in order to to let it stick you just have to be forceful you have to be persistent and yeah. i mean it sucks because i've been there and i understand how it's just like no matter how much I talk, no matter what I say, no one's listening, like, what's the point? I'm like, I'm tired, I might as well just sit down, but you can't sit down because the second you do, everyone's gonna forget about you. Right, and that's the thing, like, if you share one thing on Facebook about a tragedy or about your solidarity, and that's it, mm -hmm. then the only person you helped was yourself. You helped yourself feel better. Yeah, that's you, what you, you did. helped yourself feel like you cared about mm -hmm. something, and like, you know, like it you have like you said keep talking because mm -hmm. if you don't keep talking then people are gonna forget and you're gonna forget you have to keep the conversation going. yeah you have to right and it seems like a lot of work and it is a lot of work and it's not gonna be easy and 90 percent of the time you're gonna feel like you're failing but every once in a while, like you never know what you say, how like what something you say could actually help somebody. Yeah. Because like again, you might think that it's just your problem, um, but so many people are going through the exact same thing as you, and you just have to communicate and you have to talk about it, and you have to make. It sounds so cliche, but you have to make your voice heard, mm -hmm. because you know you're gonna talk and talk and talk, and no one's gonna listen, but someday someone will. Yeah. And so you just keep pushing until that day comes yes so how with all this like you you know you've learned with you know your job and um just everything that you know you've grown passionate about over the years with like you know journals and everything so you are going leaving for americorps in, in a couple weeks um i guess like what inspired you to um you know apply for americorps what about your job working for Channel 12 and just yeah. journalism career inspired this move and I guess just yeah how how like how are you like how are you making the transition from one to the other yeah um so oh I don't know where to start I mean honestly it kind of happened the end of last year early this year really around January you know December January um I went through you know, I lost some people who were really close to me last fall, and I was, you know, kind of in a bad, a bad headspace for a long time. And then it just kind of forced me to wake up a little bit and realize, like, my current situation, like, do I want to continue doing this? Because me, like, I felt really uncomfortable knowing that this was just going to be my job day in and day out without having an end date, without having, you know, a next step. And I just kind of got you know, sick of it and I needed something different. Um, so, you know, and I sat down and I thought about it. I'm like, well, could you see yourself doing, like Sabrina, could you see yourself doing this job for the next year, for the next two years, for the next five years? Like, where do you want to be? And I've never been able to be that person where, you know, I got a five-year plan or 10-year plan. I'm not, like, I don't know where the hell I'm going to be in five years. No. But I knew, like, I just knew going into work every single day that how stressful it can be and how sad it can be. And don't get me wrong, like occasionally we do make a difference, but it's really hard to feel like that sometimes. 
and I knew that I wanted to do something different and I wasn't sure what so I you know got on my computer and honestly just started looking up different programs different things organizations different jobs like I kind of thought what you know what do I want to be doing and I think one of the things that made me the most unhappy about my current situation was that I see so much tragedy, but I'm not physically helping. I go to uh, so many house fires or apartment fires, and I see and interview people who have lost absolutely everything. And I get there and I stick my camera in my fa in their face and I tell them, "Tell me what it's like now that all your shit's gone." Basically, yeah. is what I do. So and like again, if you're telling the story, but you're not doing anything to help them, and I wanted to physically make a change myself. So. Um, I thought about doing the Peace Corps. I've always wanted to do the Peace Corps for a really long time, ever since I was a little kid. Um, and I thought, you know, I had to do a realization and think, like, right now, would I be, so, like, an asset to the Peace Corps? And I didn't think, um, that I was quite ready to make that two-year commitment, um, because there's, like, a whole language barrier, you know, it's, a uh, 27 months you're gone for. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, AmeriCorps is, like, you know, a sister organization, so let's look into that. And then I found AmeriCorps and Triple C. Uh, which is National Civilian Community Corps. And I'm like, that's very hands-on. I'm like, that's exactly what I want to do. You're going into these communities and you're building them a home after it was blown away by a hurricane. Mm -hmm. You know, you are in these shelters helping people. You are giving them clean food, clean water, building them a home. You're in schools teaching these kids better. You know, it's very, very hands-on, which is what I wanted to do. And the program was only a year-long commitment. So it's 10 months. Um... And not a full year, 10 month commitment. And um, yeah, so I just applied and it took a few, a few months to get it all situated. But then I got an email officially confirming that I was accepted and that I was placed in the southern region. So there are four different regions uh, for entry. There's like NCCC, AmeriCorps NCCC and America FEMA Corps. So um, the FEMA Corps is more of the paper pushing side. NCCC is more boots on the ground. You're physically out there doing stuff. And NCCC has um, four different regions. You can be in the southern region, the southwestern region, the Pacific, or the north central. And each one has like a, its own little campus. So I got assigned, I didn't get to pick, I got assigned to the southern region. So our campus is in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So in July 22nd is when my training starts. I'll move down there, get a month long of training at that campus where they basically teach you all the skills that you're going to need for your upcoming, they call them deployments. It's kind of like a, a military-based thing. Sure. Like that's how it works. But so you're uh, several different deployments or projects, service projects, and so you get your month of training, and then you get sent out. You know, um, each one can vary because you never know what it what you're going to be doing. But usually, you go up for to one project for like two weeks. You come back for three to nine days. You like debrief and you learn what you're going to be doing for your next assignment. Then you go for four weeks, and then you come back three to nine days debrief you go for six weeks and again that time can change based on what you're doing but a lot of what it is is natural disaster relief yep. national park preservation um you know environmental education just so many different things it's like people always ask me like what are you going to be doing and who knows it's a big ass question mark you'll be doing so many different things but all of them are so important um and I just really wanted to do that because I have, like I said, I've just seen so many terrible things and I just feel so shitty about not being able to actually help them. Mm -hmm. I might be able to spread awareness about, you know, yeah. the violence. I might be able to spread awareness about the infrastructure of someone's home, but I'm not actually doing anything to help them 
you know, one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be able to do that so badly. And I felt like stumbled upon this and it just seemed like the perfect fit for me. Wow. Well, that's... I mean, that was a really long answer. No, no, no. That's, that's, <laughs> but that's... I mean, that's also like... I mean, it. it I feel like it kind of answers a lot of that sort of helplessness you felt where like yeah. you felt like you know you were only there for a functional reason to report on a story absolutely and you were there to yeah like let the community know that this is happening but also the fact that um you know you there's only so much you can really do like as someone who's reporting on it mm-hmm. it's not like you're there on behalf of like you know some crisis center yeah for sure and that's all i know a really awesome part about this is that america with every you know service project that you do or every deployment that you're on you're working with a really awesome nonprofit organization so sometimes you're working with habitat for humanity to help build a house you're working with the saint bernard project or the red cross or you know whatever it is you're working with you're doing partnerships with nonprofits, and you get your you know it's just an awesome experience you get to meet all these people get your foot in the door with all these organizations and um like i said i'm in the southern region so I'll just spend the next year traveling the southern US and possibly Puerto Rico or any like US territories um, and just helping out and uh, you know a big a really really big one is just you know hurricane aftermath yeah that's such a huge thing but just natural disasters that really need our help and for the most part you will stay in your region but if there's something massive they'll send people from all over. So when the hurricane, you know, Hurricane Florence, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma was happening and they needed so many hands, they sent people from all regions to help. With the California fires, they sent people from everywhere to go help with the California fires. Same thing in Hawaii when there was that volcanic, you know, chaos that was happening. They sent people to go help out with that. So yeah. it's just, you're, you're out there, you're in these communities and you're helping them not necessarily like a first responder, you know, in that sense, but you're like one of the first people to help them start to rebuild their life. And I think that that's really awesome and I wanted to be a part of that. So do you feel like this is something that like hard news stations, um, you know, not like, and totally not singling out Channel 12, just like in general, like Mm -hmm. local news stations, is like, is it something that like you feel, you know, stations can be doing more of or do you feel like it's purely just like an individual like morality thing where it's like you see a story like where someone was like heavily impacted by this and where they were like their life was changed their life was ruined or someone died and your job is solely to report on it do you feel like it's something that like new stations like should you know like do more. Do more. Yeah, yeah. do more, I guess. Yeah. I think this issue is, I think personally, it's just like a, a internal morality problem um, and ethical. You know, like that is a big thing a lot of journalists have is like a moral and ethical um, standpoint on what you're covering. Because, yeah, you want to get the best story, but you also have to follow your personal morals and ethics with it. And I understand, as much as I don't like it, I understand why big news organizations or TV news is very surface level. I get that because you can't spend a week on one story. You know, you can't, so it's not like we can, uh, you know, if anything, we could do follow up about the people who are helping, but it's not the news organization's responsibility to be the ones 
that are, you know, they're giving their time to that because, like I said, there's so many stories to cover. And that was one of my biggest issues with TV news is that I love the editing process. I love the creativity behind it, but I hate the surface level. Like the, the sh I, for lack of a better word, the shallowness of it. Yeah. And I think I always told myself that if I wanted to do video editing, editing again, I would do something that's more long form, such as documentary, where you can take a story and spend months, yeah. you know, yeah. really getting into it and not just covering the who, what, when, where, and why, yeah. but you know, just like the first five minutes of it, but really get in there and really investigate and really create something that'll make a difference. Um, and as much as I would love for local stations to be able to give that amount of time, I know that they don't have the time and I know that they don't have the resources because I've seen how a newsroom operates and I've seen how understaffed we can be at certain situations. And I, I wish we could do more, you know, as you know, a member or a former member of, of TV news, I wish there was more that we could do, but honestly there isn't. Yeah. So then it was up to me, my like, personally I had to make that choice of do I want to keep doing this or if I'm still bothered by it am I going to do something like you know be bothered enough to make a change and do something different and that's what I did makes sense right Sabrina hi yo we had a great talk we did I enjoyed this very much good I I mean you bring light to a lot of really important things about your personal values <laughs> versus that of the organization you you work for slash represent and especially from a journalistic standpoint, I mean, I'm sure that's something we struggle with. Absolutely. So, like, um, so Sabrina, tell me what keeps you up at night. What keeps me up at night? Oh, that's such a random question. I ask it after every after, episode. What keeps me up at night? That this world is a fucked up, depressing place and I can't change it by myself. That's what keeps me up at night. Honestly. Well, you got us for it. <laughs> you, 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 got, you got good people in your corner. To help you with that. Um, important to remember, there's people that care always. What puts you to sleep, though? What puts me to sleep? Good music. Good music helps. Good music. Good music that's, just... That's what finally gets good, my mind to shut yeah. off and go to bed. Good music just, you know, it just cures all. Like, mm -hmm. it just you know, shuts everything else off. So, um, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, sir. Of course. <laughs> um, yes. So, remember to use your voice if you have one and also just don't stop using it um never you know, shut up never yeah. shut up <laughs> if and if people think you're like if people complain that you're annoying about it it's like it's clearly that they are bothered by the fact that you're bringing light to something that they don't want to acknowledge Absolutely. and that isn't your problem that's their problem <laughs> so um yeah, so also vote for politicians that are actually invested in improving the disenfranchised, disenfranchised communities. Mm -hmm. That too. Well said. Thank you <laughs> for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. <laughs> vote.